Let's really focus together and give our attention as I read from Mark chapter 3, verses 31 to 35. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. I'm going to take a moment to just soak this in. It's so special to see our whole body, including the children. I know we got our youth in here as well. And so I'm super excited. I think we've never done this as long as I can remember. And so what a special Sunday it is. And I'm so grateful we can worship together the last Sunday of 2021. Uh, my name is Andrew. I am one of the pastors, and as I was preparing this message and trying to think about what I could speak on, I think the topic of family kept coming to my mind. Maybe it's the holiday season, Christmas, family, maybe it's all of the Christmas cards we've gotten of all of the dear families, or so many of them that we know. Maybe it's the meals that we shared. Maybe you think about yesterday night and the meals that you shared together. During the holidays, we, we think about these picture-perfect moments where family is by the fireplace, drinking hot chocolate, opening up gifts. And I think for all of us, family, this topic of family, it strikes a chord in us. We, we connect, we relate Something about family is so special, and I think it's because we are wired for it. We were made for relationships that feel like family, secure, safe, where we can come as we are, be ourselves, and know we'll be met with love and acceptance. I think this is why uh, Disney, Disney knows this, and that's why they do so well, family-friendly, right? So many of their movies, we think about Incredibles, Coco, Moana, Frozen. So many of the themes are about what? Family. Family's important. But what if yours doesn't feel quite like this picture-perfect image? I know for some of us it does, and this Christmas maybe it was really happy. It was a great, merry Christmas, but for others, maybe it didn't feel that way. Maybe for some of you today, family's kind of a sensitive topic. It feels a little bit awkward. It's a little bit difficult, uncomfortable. Maybe some of you are so used to family drama. Maybe some of you wish you just had family around, period. Maybe the seats that used to be full are now empty, and those who used to be present at the table are no longer there. Family is such an important topic for all of us, and so today I thought what better place than to turn to what Jesus says about family and learn from him. So two quick points for today, all right? The first one is 
biological family, and the second one will be spiritual family. So it follows the flow of the passage, and we're going to look at biological family first. In our passage today, Mark chapter 3, sort of towards the beginning of the book of Mark, verse 7 begins this uh, passage, this this scene where Jesus is talking and teaching all of these great to all of these great crowds they're gathering they're curious who is this guy who's this new guy on the block what is he about Jesus is performing miracles he's performing healings and he's teaching with all authority so people are realizing something is happening this person is a little bit different and so great crowds start to gather to follow him. We didn't read this, but earlier in chapter 3 and verse 21, it mentions that one time such a big crowd gathered around Jesus that they couldn't even eat. They couldn't even eat. And in that chapter, in that verse of verse 21, Jesus' own family, Jesus' own family hears of it. And they go out to seize him for they thought he is out of his mind. He is out of his mind. This verse is very closely connected to our passage. I think this is why his family is coming out. They were looking out to seize him. There's a short break. And then we get to our passage today, Mark 3.31. And you imagine why. Why were they trying to seize him? He was out of his mind. They probably thought, Jesus, why are you so controversial? Why are you making it so much harder on our family? Right, the Pharisees, the people everyone respects and admires, they, they don't like you. They're upset at what you're saying. What you're doing is bring our family shame. It's shameful. You imagine those might have been some of the conversations that Jesus got from his own family. Now, before we go on, I do want to explain a little bit about who is in Jesus' family, who's looking for him. And so in Matthew 13, verse 55 to 56, it tells us, these were some of the comments, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And it goes on, and are not all his sisters with us? So we know he has multiple sisters. They're not named or numbered. But this is a pretty big family that Jesus is in. In another passage in John 7, it talks about a festival happening and Jesus' family goes, but it says Jesus stayed behind. And so there's a lot of different passages sprinkled throughout the Bible that it references, it mentions Jesus' family. But it's also interesting that his family didn't really understand why he came. They didn't really get him. John chapter 7 verse 5 says, For not even his brothers believed in him. They didn't believe what Jesus was saying. They didn't believe him. Jesus was misunderstood by his family. His family didn't realize what he was about. And so they all had their own thoughts about how he's supposed to live his life. What he should be doing. They didn't get him. And it's interesting that even in verse 21, this word, for they were trying to lay hold of him. Some translation says, seize him. This word is the same word that would be used when Jesus gets arrested. Interesting, right? You see here, the same word that would be used 
about Jesus' enemies seizing him is used here with his biological family. Later on, they, they would come around. In Acts chapter 1, we see his family. They get it. They worship him. They praise him. But until then, in our passage today, his family, they didn't understand what he was about. Family drama, right? Talk about family drama. Maybe some of us can relate. We know what it's like to feel so misunderstood, to feel like you, you just don't get me. We know sometimes family, it's not always easy. It's not always comfortable. Before we go further, I do want to talk about some unique challenges to our families today. How families, how all of us, how we might think of family may be different from one person to the next. Right? If I asked you what's the first word that comes to your mind today when I say the word family, you and the person next to you, you might be thinking about two very different things. Families, there's so many different things we can talk about, so many things we can emphasize when it comes to family. And as I was preparing this sermon, I did read up on an article by David Brooks, New York Times columnist, and I thought it was so interesting. He mentions that families and family structures today are very different than how they used to be. He says this, we're likely living through the most rapid change in family structure in human history. We're living through that now, the most rapid change. What is that? How has family changed so much? And I think it's this. You see, throughout most of American history, families were these big, large, extended families. Everybody's together. Mom, dad, the kids, grandparents. You got the cousins. You got the aunts, the uncles. Everybody's together. You think about maybe 7 to 20 people, right, in one house living together. That was family. And part of why that had to happen is because back then, a lot of these families revolved around work, right? We need to survive. We got to put food on the table. And work was manual labor, right? Most of the people were farmers or they did some kind of work that required manual labor, which means, hey, everybody can chip in, right? Everybody has to play their role. Every single person needs to help out, and a lot of people call these families corporate families. They all had to play a part in helping the family out. Well, times have changed, and families have changed, and while extended, these big extended families, they have their strengths, they also come with some not-so-pleasant things, right? They could be exhausting or suffocating, stifling. There's not a lot of privacy you're forced to be in these daily intimate contacts with people you didn't choose to be around, but you're just stuck there with. So you don't have a lot of freedom or flexibility. You had more stability, but you had less mobility, right? And because of that, people began to move out. Things began to change. And now when we think of if you and I, when we think of families, I would take a guess a lot of you think about the American dream, the parents, mom and dad, and the kids, two to three kids. Now, it's interesting because this family image of the nuclear family, mom, dad, two to three kids, that's 
very new. For most of human history, families weren't like that. They weren't about that. And this is where we find ourselves now. Society has become more individualistic, more mobile, less rooted, and more self-oriented. You think about a lot of parents, mom, dad, the kids, they're on their island, right? They're doing their own thing now. We don't really see them much anymore. They've just become about them. And as these families got smaller because of cultural and economic changes, with the smaller families came decreased decreases in meaningful connection, increases in loneliness, more loneliness, to the point where some say that the crisis of connection that people face today, it's because of poor family life. The shift from these big extended families to now these small, isolated, detached nuclear families, it might be more harmful than we realize. So what do we do then when the most loving, secure relationship in your life either breaks or you don't feel that in your biological family? You don't get that. What are you going to do? You're going to look for family. You're going to try to make your family. You're going to look for substitutes to fill that void. And we think about shows like Friends, right? Everybody gathers together as friends and they try to kind of start their own family. They're hanging out, living together. We think about why franchises like Fast and the Furious do so well, right? I don't have friends. I got family, right? He makes Dominic Toretto, the main character, makes this hodgepodge family out of his friends, and now some call this, this movement of, of making your families forged families. You're forging, you're making your own families out of the people you choose. David Brooks, in his article, he, he goes on to tell this story. I think it's an important one to, to, to think about. He says, Lisa Fitzpatrick, she was a healthcare executive in New Orleans. One day she was sitting in the passenger seat of a car. And she looks out, she sees these two boys, 10 and 11 years old, lifting, carrying something kind of heavy, and it turns out it was a gun. It was a gun, and they used it to shoot her in the face. And by some miracle, grace of God, she survived, and she recovered, and turns out it was a gang initiation ritual. And as she recovered, it was so interesting what she thought. She didn't think, I'm the victim here. But she thought, I'm actually collateral damage. The real victims are these boys. These young boys who had to shoot somebody to get into a family. And that was their gang. And so she quit her job and she began to work with gang members. And she would open up her home to these young kids. To the point where there were days where there were 35 of them hanging around, hanging around in her house. And there was one time where she asked them, why? Why would you spend a lovely afternoon? You could be doing anything, but you're here with a middle-aged woman like me. Why? And they replied, you were the first person who ever opened the door. 
you are the first person who ever opened the door. You see, it's hard for some of us to get into a family, to feel like we're a part of a family. Maybe you resonate where you feel like, I don't find a place where I belong and I'm still looking for that. Where it seems like no one, just no one opens the door for you. No one opens, opens the door into their hearts for you. But I love that Jesus, he does exactly that. He opens the door and opens it wide. In fact, he says, I am the door. You can join my family. Come through me. This brings us to our second point, spiritual family. In verse 33, in our passage, when asked, who are my mother and brothers? Jesus, he looks out. He scans across and he says, here, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. I wonder if the people there, the crowd, when the family of Jesus showed up, they were thinking, well, show's over, right? Jesus' family is here. Of course, he's going to go meet with them and we're not going to be able to hear what he has to say. We'll never be as close to Jesus as they are. We're not going to be insiders like they are. And we might expect him to say something like that or, or, or be that way, but he does something so startling, so, so, so unexpected, where he doesn't treat his own biological family with special privileges. But he gives equal access to everyone, that everyone can join. Jesus' family, whoever does the will of God, that's my brother, that's my sister, that's my mother. You see, Jesus challenges this notion, this notion of biological family first. Matthew 10, verse 35 to 37, it says this, For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus sh shifts and moves the priorities around. That faith comes first. And for those of you who maybe know missionaries or have been on the mission field to persecuted places, you know that this is a reality for some people where they lost family because they followed Jesus. Now today, in our context, I do think there are two dangers of, two dangers of falling on either extreme, of being all about your biological family or all about your spiritual family to the neglect of the other. Right, there's these two extremes, and first, the, the biological extreme, right, where it's all about your biological family. You're, I, I think these are, are probably those who are, are barely at church. Attendance is spotty. It's only when it's convenient. And church is optional. Church is optional. Church is about comfort and convenience. Church is not about service and sacrifice. Oh, no, no, no. It's not about that. If it costs us too much, hey, we're not going to be there. And th these families, maybe your families, they come as consumers more than contributors. 
They come more to take than to give. The biological family is everything. And kids that grow up in a lot of these families, it's not a surprise that they don't grow up to go to church. Because church was never really a priority. It was always optional. And so we might call it our spiritual family, but if push comes to shove, does it really honestly feel that way? Does it feel that way? Now, on the other extreme, you got where the spiritual family, the church, it's everything to the neglect of the biological family. Right? Where you're always at church. Your family is not with you. They're at home. You think of the kids who say, oh, my parents, or I never see them around. They're always busy with church. They don't have time for me. I confess as a pastor, this is probably where I lean, the extreme where I lean. And there were seasons and times where I caught myself doing that, where I didn't manage and balance boundaries well. And I remember just hard conversations where I would hear my own wife, Michelle, she would say to me, sometimes you're, you're so busy, you rush through our conversations, you don't have time, seems like you never have time for me. Sometimes I wish you would just treat me like how you would treat another church member. And those were hard conversations, piercing conversations that had me realizing, man, man, something's off. You see, these are both extremes, and both these extremes usually separate the two, right? They separate the two where we neglect one, but I think there's a better way. And this better way is the biological and spiritual families should enhance one another. The biological and spiritual families should enhance one another. To bring the family to church and bring the church home into the family. In verse, uh, Joshua 24, verse 15, it says, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, should be on the screen. It, it reads this, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? In other words, you see when they talk in this way, there's a lot of blending, a lot of overlap, isn't there, between the family, biological family, and the spiritual family. In fact, Paul saw family life as a training ground for ministry. That's the elders, right? To be an elder, you got to be faithfully practicing the faith at home. Our spiritual relationships, they're modeled after biological ones. And this is why ministry often begins at home with the natural biological families that we have. This is why I think a lot of the disciples, two pairs of them, right? Andrew was brothers with Simon Peter. And James was brothers with John. And so Jesus calls people that are in natural families, in biological families, to join his spiritual family. This way, the ministry is no longer a threat to the family. And the family is not a replacement. It's not an alternative to ministry. As one pastor puts it, rather the family becomes the arena in which ministry thrives and ministry becomes the environment in which the family matures. 
they enhance each other. In other words, faithfulness in the family enhances faithfulness in the church. And faithfulness in the church should enhance faithfulness in the family. This is why Jesus, on the cross, he says this. It's so interesting. One of his final words, John 19, verse 26 to 27, it reads this. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, that's John, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. The mother of Mary, I mean, the mother of Jesus, Mary, and John, one of the disciples of Jesus, Jesus would have them demonstrate from each other the loyalty you would expect, the commitment you would expect from a natural biological family between a mother and a son. So who belongs in God's family today? Who belongs? Those who do the will of God. Well, it might surprise you who's included in that list. See, in Jesus' family, Jesus welcomes the overlooked, the people we'd be ashamed to call our family members. He welcomes them. He welcomes the diseased. He welcomes the tax collectors. He welcomes Simon the Zealot, terrorist revolutionaries. He welcomes society's worst sinners. He slows down for them when the world, even their own families, might pass them by. And he welcomes them. Christ looks at them, he looks at us, he looks at you and me, and he's not ashamed to call us family. Hebrews 2 says he's not ashamed to call us his family. How can this be, though? How can Christ not be ashamed of us, knowing everything about us? And I think it's this. He's not ashamed because he took all of our guilt, all of our sin, all of our shame upon himself he'd be outcasted he would have his back have the father's face turned away from him so that we could enter into his family but not only that he's not ashamed of us because i also think that he's increasingly making us more and more like him and he's confident that one day you and i the family of god will bear the family resemblance more and more to look more and more like Jesus, our older brother. In other words, Jesus willingly identifies with us because our identity is found in him. He willingly identifies with us because our identity is found in him. Can you extend the same warm family invite to those around you? as the family of God. As we end, I want to just give us two two practical application points. Faith, I would hate for us to just leave knowing more information, but real faith, I think, comes out in life transformation. In other words, I hope that our lives look different. I hope that Christ Central, our community, looks a little bit different after this. As we be, as we 
be the family of God together. So practical things, two things. First, the language of family. When it comes to being the family of God, the language of family matters. Mothers, brothers, sisters, fathers. It's interesting, whenever Paul writes his letters, one of the most common terms he uses to introduce people to each other is what? It's family language. It's brother. It's sister. In Romans 16, with Phoebe, he calls her our sister, Phoebe. In 1 Peter 5, when Peter wants to talk about Silvanus, he calls him a faithful brother. So to people that haven't met yet, they're saying, this is your brother. This is your sister. Welcome them. Language is powerful. One commentator, commentator, Scott McKnight, says this. Words matter. Images shape, metaphors live. Some preacher types think of their churches as audiences. Some counselor types think of their congregations as souls. Some teacher types think of them as students. Sacramental types might think of their congregations as sinners in need of mediation or as needy people. The Apostle Paul constantly called his churches siblings. And the constant thinking of them as siblings and calling them siblings built a culture of siblingship rather than a culture of an audience, souls, students, or those in need of mediation. I love that. Culture of siblingship. Try it. When you meet someone, maybe today, maybe there's someone you, you're not very fond of, but try articulating, this is my brother. This is my sister. And see the affection that wells up, that comes from that. I think this is why during COVID, of course, we want to gather safely, but this is why we want to welcome you back. Because Missing our church has felt like missing family. And that's why we're so glad to be together. Quick comment on, on brothers and sisters. Also, please learn names. Learn names. Right? How many of us, how many names do we know? How many people know our names? I think this is a practical thing, a step we can take even after the service is introduce yourself and get to know someone new. I know it's an uncomfortable first step, but it is a first step. Get to know someone and start making this community feel a little more like family for yourself, but also for someone else. Second, second feature of being the family of God is intergenerational relationships, right? We look at families and they're mixed. There's grandparents, there's parents, there's kids. It's a beautiful blend, kind of like this today. And that reflects the whole body, the whole church. As an education pastor now, I'm, I'm more and more convinced that the more we interact and blend and, and experience that, that difference even amongst ourselves in age, I think the better it is for us, the more we'll feel like a family. We had infant baptisms last week, and I, it was a special day for me and my wife. We baptized, I know some of you saw little baby Mia, and uh, she totally just slept through the whole thing, but, um, but we were moved. 
I was moved when I looked out at the membership vows of those receiving Mia into this family. And I thought, man, I really hope one day Mia can grow up and say the church really is my family, my spiritual family. And that's what we take, the vows that we take are about. That we're committing to make this place feel like family. To help raise Mia in the faith. And hopefully for us as a family to help you in your time of need when you need us. I want to thank all of those who volunteer now in our education ministries. I know you give up a lot and we're so grateful the work you're doing to raise up the the precious kids that are here today. I know a lot of you are doing that informally, whether you're in small group together and you're trying to love on these families. Great. We're so grateful you're doing that. For others of you who maybe are interested in doing that, you're serving at our church, please, please do that. Talk to us. We definitely need more volunteers. Talk to me or any of our other staff. Talk to our welcoming team. We would love to connect you in that way. I want to end with this. I think today we have such a special opportunity because biological families, there's that crisis of loneliness. People are looking for a place to call home. And it's a great opportunity for us as the extended family, the family of God, the forged family, forged by the gospel, to provide that that place, that place of welcome. I know it's not easy to do this. I know it's not going to be easy for me. It's going to be a learning curve for all of us. But I think as we sacrifice some of our privacy, our comfort, our convenience, I think we have so much more to gain. Greater intimacy, a sense of home, less loneliness, more love, and a great joy as we witness and see each other become more like Jesus. I want to end with this quote by David Brooks from that same article. He says this, Americans are hungering to live in extended and forged families in a way that are new and ancient at the same time. This is a significant opportunity, a chance to thicken and broaden family relationships, a chance to allow more adults and children to live and grow under the loving gaze of a dozen pairs of eyes and be caught when they fall by a dozen pairs of arms. For decades, we have been eating at smaller and smaller tables with fewer and fewer kin. It's time to find ways to bring back the big tables. It's time to find ways to bring back the big tables. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you that it is by your blood that we are made into a new family, your family. Lord, that no matter what we've done, the sins that we or those around us might be ashamed about, we turn to you, to your open arms that welcome us. Father, we know it's often not easy to feel and experience family. And so we ask 
that today you would mold and shape our church to feel more and more a place to call home. And with this time of communion, only sweeten as we experience a sense of siblingship together. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.